Matthew chapter 6. Why don't you turn there real quick. Um, just a, a quick word of announcement before we uh, jump in this morning. Next week, doing something special. We're calling it Your Pastors, Your Questions. Um, the reality is you have asked a lot of questions over the last few weeks. Your pastoral staff has worked hard to answer some of those. And so what we're going to do is gather in a pretty informal way with the use of wonderful technology. And we're going to kind of banter and share some of our answers and try to share some hope and, and, and encouragement with you through that time together on, uh, our, during our sermon next Sunday. So we're looking forward to that. We have a wonderful pastoral staff. Uh, a great group of guys, fun group of guys, so expect some laughs and expect some special things too. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, so Matthew chapter 6, happy Mother's Day. Moms, happy Mother's Day. I mean, we are grateful for our moms. We are grateful for the women God has placed in our lives. Ladies, I know today brings all kinds of emotions. Um, we are, just know this, we are thankful for you um, and we are grateful for you. So, so as I was thinking about our passage this morning, it actually has something in common with a lot of moms. Um, and this is not a dig on moms. Please understand that. Today is not the day I dig on moms. Dads, whew, but moms, no. Um, the, the, and yeah, by the way, dads, if you didn't know it was Mother's Day, psh, good luck. Um, <laughs> too late now. Um, maybe uh, if I preach long enough, you can run to the store and back. Maybe. We'll see what happens. Um, but, but one of the things that I think today's passage has in common with, with many moms is moms have some really wise sayings. And they may say them over and over again, enough where uh, the children will be like, oh, there she goes again. And they don't actually listen to it. They don't actually hear it until that one moment they actually do. And, and, and then all of a sudden it all makes sense. And, and, and that's kind of what our passage is today, at least to me. Um, just in the last couple of hours, um, God really anchored home, which I thank God for, but anchored home what I need to focus on in our passage today. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, a very familiar passage. Uh, I'm guessing all of you have heard it before. I'm guessing that most of you have memorized it. In fact, I'm guessing that many of you memorized it in the old King James. Um, but let me read the, the passage for the dates. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we, as, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So as we look at this prayer, known as the Lord's Prayer, very common, very familiar, uh, I want to make sure that we focus on, on particularly the first phrase. Because as you understand that first phrase, it changes everything. Our Father in heaven. Jesus is, is talking in an intensely personal way. In the Luke version of this, it's talking about Abba. That's our daddy, right? And so that's who Jesus is speaking to in, in Luke's version of this. Here, it's, this is our Father, our, our, our heavenly Father. Just, and this, is, this is personal. This is who He is. It's, it's real. Just as I am an I, He is a He, right? So, I mean, this is, this is real. And then, then this amazing thing happens where, where Jesus makes it a first-person plural. I know. Grammar. It's so cool sometimes. Uh, man, do I sound like a nerd. Uh, the the first-person plural. Our our Father, and we share in a family relationship with Jesus Christ. Through, 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 through the um, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been justified. And because of that, it says that we have been given the spirit of adoption so we can cry out to, to, to God as Abba, Father. We can cry out to God, Daddy, because He has adopted us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 8 tells us. 
He's our Father. Our Father. And He's not like any earthly dad. Our modern culture has gone above and beyond to try to demise or demean um, dads. Um, it really does take a shot and, and basically portrays every dad as just a complete waste of flesh. Okay? So, so we, we have this image going around in television shows and movies and, and, and modern pop culture of dad is either a mean ogre who sits back and yells at people and drinks too much, or he is a pathetic loser who can't do anything right. Okay, now, I don't want to give credence to either of those stereotypes, but I just want to make sure you're clear. When we talk about God, our Father, we're not talking about either of those. We're not talking about a, a God who threatens to pull over the car every time the kids get rambunctious in the back seat of the car. We're not talking about a God who, who sits in his armchair and mutes the TV so he can scream up the stairs, don't make me come up there, right? Well, that's not the daddy we're talking about. No, we're talking about a daddy who is compassionate. A dad who who feels in his gut the love and compassion for his children, and it leads to him doing something. He is a compassionate God. Psalm 103 tells us that. Psalm 5 tells us he's a dad who wants to hear from us. Just earlier in Matthew 6, in verse 8, he tells us it's a daddy who, who knows what we need even before we ask him. Praise God, James 1 tells us that he is the one who is able to give us the good and perfect gifts. That's our dad our Heavenly Father. Wrap your head around that a little bit. And then think about this. He didn't choose you, adopt you, because you were the pick of the litter. It's not like he stood and looked at the long line of children like he's getting ready to pick a kickball team. And he's like, you can crush it. I want you first. We're not like the superstar. We're not like the rock star that he would choose from. We're more like the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, the one who, who went to his dad and said, that's it, I'm out. I want you to cash out your assets and give me what is mine. And the dad obliged and gave him what was his. And the young man left with his inheritance. And it says he spent all of it on foolish living. Nothing left. So much so that he, he ended up going to work for pig farmers. He's working out with the pigs and he's thinking, I wish I could eat as well as the pigs did. Oh, that prodigal son is going to return to his dad. He says along the way he rehearses in his head the speech he's going to give his dad. Okay, I'm going to say, okay, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I just want to be your employee. And as he rounds the corner and sees his dad and he begins the speech, he doesn't even get the words out because dad falls on him and embraces him and crushes him with one of those bear hugs. He says, my son who is lost has been found. He's home. Let's kill a fatted calf. Let's have ourselves a party. What? Why would you have a party for him? That was actually what the older brother said. You see, the, the reality is none of us uh, met any of the conditions that would need to be met to be adopted by a heavenly father. That's why we need unconditional love, because we have failed every condition. He is compassionate. He's loving. He's merciful. But, but careful. Don't get in your head the picture of Ned Flanders, right? Hi, diddly, ho, neighbor, you know, not, not that guy. Not that. And if you don't know who Ned Flanders is, thank your lucky stars. Good on you. But, but the reality is we, we don't have this wishy-washy, no-backbone guy who lives next door wearing a sweater vest all the time. That, that's not the picture of who our Heavenly Father is. He, he's not just our Father. He's not just our Daddy. He's... Our Heavenly Father. Our Father in Heaven. That's not just telling us where to find Him, folks. It's not just giving us an address. 
Now, his, 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 his dwelling place is used to represent his transcendence and his power and his authority. M- much like, and okay, this isn't a political statement, it's an American statement, but much like the White House. When the White House issues a statement, it's not coming from the, 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 the residence of the president. It is meant to carry with it the authority and the power of the office of the president of the United States. So much more so heaven for our Father who is in heaven. He's on his throne. He is totally sovereign, totally in control. He knows all. He sees all. He's infinitely powerful and eternally capable. He's not like, he's not like a bunch of us who are going through these days, which are unlike any others that, that I've been a part of, right? And we're trying to lead people through these days. And so as a result, because we have no clue what we're doing, we're pulling out our hair. We are not sleeping. We are gaining weight. Right? I mean, we're, 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 we're freaking out, reading every new idea. We're having emergency meetings where uh, Jared Wilson, one of the authors that I read preparing for this, says that, listen, there's no emergency meetings in the Trinitarian boardroom. Why? Because God is all-powerful. He's always in control. So, so that builds part of the tension we live in. This is our daddy. This is our, our, our Father, a compassionate one who longs for us. But this is the transcendent, powerful, almighty, holy God. Yeah, how do those go together? Well, that, my friends, is what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is having awe for his transcendence and yet being drawn near to him because of his imminence. He's our daddy who hears us when we call out to him. He's our daddy who's in control so we can rest knowing that he's at the wheel and that knowing that no matter what happens, he's steering all things to our good. Right? So, so obviously, I'm not going to have time to focus on, on the, all of the details of this incredible prayer. I'm not, certainly not even going to focus on the I would call it the protocol of prayer, the, the how to pray. And so I just want to focus on that first point, who it is we're praying to. It's our Heavenly Father. Because when we focus on that, when we grasp that, it brings hope, it brings courage. When, when you know who it is that you are approaching, when you know who it is you have absolute access to, when you know who it is who longs to hear from you, who knows your need, who knows your name, when you wrap your head around those things, it changes everything. It changes your priorities. Not, not just your priorities for prayer, but your priorities in life. Man, we want more of Him. We want His will to be seen in everything because He is such a good daddy. Uh, how would I not want the whole world to know Him? Right? It changes our priorities. It also changes our dedication and dependence on Him. It makes it grow exponentially because we know with that power, authority, and might coming from heaven, we can trust Him and only Him to accomplish what is good when what is right. Because He's our, our Father and He's in heaven. And the prayer continues, Your name be honored as holy. Your name be honored as holy. I, I find it interesting that the King James got it hallowed. Um, and we're all like, what does hallowed mean? That must be like some special spiritual word. No, it actually means this. Your name, the CSB does a great job translating it, be honored as holy. Now first, when he's talking about the name, he's not talking about the, the, the thing that would go on the name tag, put it, God, and he wears his name tag to the conference, G-O-D. That, that's not what he's talking about here. The name actually represents his very essence, his very character, his very nature. It's who he is. 
And so our greatest priority, our greatest desire is that who he is, the reputation of God, continues to advance in front of the eyes of all these people. Why? Because he's our father and we want everybody to know him. We want everybody to know that no matter what the difficulty is that they're going through, God is God and God is good. He's to be worshipped. He's to be served. We want the whole world to have, to have these new lenses to be able to see who he is and react accordingly. We want the whole world to honor God. Now, a picture for you. In our modern culture, one of the ways we show honor uh, is at a wedding. Right, And so as the guests are seated and the, the groomsmen come up who are complete afterthoughts, right? the bridesmaids, they're a high priority in the wedding. Uh, the groom comes in stance. He's probably behind the bridesmaids, to be honest with you. Okay, But then they're all in place and the doors in the back of the sanctuary open. The music changes. It swells to this majestic, I'm not going to do any noise music for you. You're welcome. But it swells to this majestic moment. What's supposed to happen, for those of you who don't know how it works behind the scenes, what is supposed to happen is as the clergy, the pastor, the one officiating, I then look at the bride's mom who is sitting on the front row, and I try to get her to stand up with a wink, a nod, a let's stand up. Sometimes I walk over, tap her on the shoulder. Um, occasionally, everybody else stands up, and then she stands up. The honor that is shown to the bride, because it is her wedding, is impressive. As everyone stands to their feet. She walks down the center aisle with Daddy, glowing. What a disgusting, dishonoring display of arrogance for someone to willfully stay seated. Now, I'm not talking about mom over here who forgot and had no idea where she was because of the emotion of the moment and forgot to stand up. I'm not talking about the person who, who forgets to stand up. I am talking about the one who intentionally decides they will not honor that bride whatsoever, period. And that's how God is viewed today. There's no honor given to the only one who truly deserves honor. And so as we get to know him as our Heavenly Father... Our greatest priority is that as the world watches in difficult times, they get a completely new view of who he is. And part of that has to do with the fact we're working hard to make much of his name. We're making it all about him, not our plans, not our thoughts, not our sadness, not our mourning, not the rights that we've lost, none of those things. No, no. The world should look at us and be baffled by the fact that in the middle of any storm, we stand with our hands raised in worship. Why would we do that? Because he's our father in heaven. And our prayer should be that when they see our response to him, as Psalm 40 verse 3 says, many will fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's supposed to be our prayer, our goal, our priority, even in crisis, that, that everyone would rise at the entrance of the bride. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, 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 this is a weird prayer request, man. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will be do, to be done. We, well, it's going to happen. It's God. Of course it's going to happen. We, we, we know his kingdom's going to come. Now listen, we, we long for his kingdom to come. That can go two different ways. The first aspect of it is we want to see his kingdom grow. 
And the kingdom grows through the, the good news, the declaration of the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and victory has been won. And we desire to see it continue to grow through the gospel outreach of his church, right? So, so we desire that. Lord, would your kingdom come? Would it continue to grow? But it also means this, and probably a more plain understanding of it is, we just want God's kingdom to be consummated. I mean, it's been initiated as Jesus came but we want his return to be now. We, we, we wait for that, that crowning moment when our faith becomes sight and everything is a reality right before us. That should be our greatest priority. The, the priority of our heart should be looking for the day when we don't bow our heads or close our eyes in prayer. But instead, instead we've got to shield our eyes and we fall to our faces because he's in our midst. Friends, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, so, so it's interesting. This prayer isn't about changing God's mind. His mind's made up. It's about aligning our hearts with his desire. It's about changing us. And we should be crying out. One of our, well, our greatest priorities should be crying out, Lord, Father, we, we return. Daddy, finish this. Finish this. Come with your power. Lord, bring the day, bring the day when the wolf and the lamb lie down together. Bring the day that the flower blooms in the desert. Bring the day that death is no more, the disease is gone. Bring the day when you come to wipe every tear from our eyes. That should be our greatest priority. Father, your kingdom come. And if that's, that's, that's our priority, man, that changes us from the inside out. When we, we are so committed to his return, we're so committed to his desire, then, then we'll also be just as committed to his will here on earth no matter what. Lord, would you do your will here on earth as in heaven? There are no obstacles in heaven. There's nobody tripping him up in heaven. There's nobody withstanding him in heaven. He is doing what, as he wishes in heaven. Father, would you do that here too? Would you work out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God here on earth? That's Romans 12. Because his will, his will is, is infinite in love and power and knowledge. So would you display that for us? Please, God, do your will here. Now, let me, uh, I'll speak frankly. You can use your own joke there. Um, the prayer isn't, Father, would you do your will? Unless, Father, would you do your will? Unless that means I lose my job, then no. Father, would you do your will? Unless it means I have to like change the way I live. No, see, see, when you allow your own understanding of what is best to drive how you react to what is God's present moment then what you are doing is risking one of the greatest dangers known to Christians. And it's drowning out the, the voice, the announcement of the good news of the gospel of the kingdom with your own concerns. And what it says is you're not desiring God's will no matter what. Now, please understand, particularly in very politically charged days. I'm not saying you can't have a political idea, a thought, a social, economic, uh, theoretical, even an emotional response to what's happening around. And, and I'm not saying that you can't promote those things. You can't talk about those things. That is, that is not what I'm saying. But, but please understand this. The moment you make such a ruckus that the people around you stop hearing from you the announcement of the good news of the kingdom, 
They stop hearing that their only hope in every moment is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then you're no longer aligned with his desire. You're certainly not longing for his name to be honored among the people. We should be praying, God, I, I want your will to be done. I want all people to fall before you here on earth, just like they do in heaven. I mean, we, 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 we need to be begging God to bring the newness of his kingdom and his will into our lives without objection. Right? I mean, so, so here we are, folks. We, we're at the, the middle point of this prayer. And we're about to switch into personal dependence, which I'm going to have to be really quick on. But, 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 but at this moment, what you're finding is that it's easy to recite the Lord's Prayer. It ain't so easy to live it. When you, when you are called on the carpet and you must live this way, when you must live in such a way that your greatest goal is that God is made much of, that you long for God's will to be done no matter what it means for you, if, when, when that becomes your priority, well, really it's a revel revelation of what's happening in your soul. It's a revelation of the reality and the depth of your knowledge of Him. It, it reveals if you really do know Him as your heavenly daddy. But, but your dependence on Him reveals that as well. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. This isn't talking like some early church leaders back in the day hyper-spiritualized it and said this is the invisible bread of God's word or it's the bread we need to do the Lord's Supper. And so people are like, would you give us the bread we need to do the Lord's Supper? John Calvin came out and said, Man, that is exceedingly absurd. Exact quote. I love his directness. Exceedingly absurd. Now this is the things that are necessary for the preservation of life. Father, would you give us those things we need to live? You know, we, we're dependent on his provision every day. But in times of difficulty, we just become a little bit more aware of it. I mean, come on, guys. Up to this point, we've assumed daily bread. And now suddenly, some of it's at risk. And I'm not just talking food. There are some people with health. Some people with employment. I mean, we're, we're just becoming more and more aware that we have to depend on Him for those things. And we hate that. We hate being dependent on God. That sounds terrible, and I could get struck by lightning, you may think, but it's not. It's reality. We hate being dependent on God. We are independent people, and independent people lose their minds when we have to wait for other people and rely on other people and trust in other people to give us a path or a plan. And what happens is when we're stuck waiting or relying on other people, it leads to anger because underneath everything that, 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 that our dependence or our... Um, being dependent is wrapped up in is, is we're grabbing onto that as a source of security. And when we relinquish our dependence, we have then relinquished our security. And now we are in a place of insecurity because we have to depend on somebody else. And if we're not dependent, if we have to depend on them, if who knows when it's going to happen and fear and worry and insecurity and anger and angry Facebook posts and angry phone calls and collisions uh, in, in the supermarket uh, and people yelling at each other and grabbing meat and throwing things at each other. I mean, it turns into chaos and it's all because we hate being dependent. And don't allow that to create fear and worry in you. Instead, allow it to point you to the good, glorious, powerful Father you have in heaven. I mean, there may not be a clear path or plan, but there is a clear provider. And why worry, right? I mean, he, he says he's provided for the birds and he's clothed the flowers. How much more? Will he take care of you?
And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. I've got to stick close to my notes to get this done in time. So our, our sin, okay, our sin creates an obligation or a debt that we can't possibly repay. But because our Father loves us, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to be our way of reconciliation with the Father. And Jesus Christ died where we should have died. He paid the price of our sin debt so that any who would repent of their sin and call out on His name and confess Him as Savior could be forgiven. And when you read this, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Sometimes we think, I need to forgive in order to be forgiven. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you need to be reminded daily of this extravagant, scandalous grace that God has given to you in your sin. And as a sinner, still sinners, still in need of grace, we need to be faithful to confess our sins because he is faithful to forgive our sins. And if we're not reminded of that need of daily forgiveness from God... We're not reminded that we don't have it all together. You start falling for the lie. You start falling for the lie that you are something. And you minimize your sin. You minimize your falls. But in turn, you maximize the sin of others. You maximize the falls of others. You view others as having great debts instead of being reminded that you have been given a free grace, forgiveness. And what should happen is that should overflow out of you to other people. Last thing, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Just as we have depended on God to provide what we need, just as we have leaned into him for forgiveness, we need to beg him to protect us from sin. Guys, sin is waiting for you. Particularly in difficult days, sin is waiting for you. When you have an expectation of ease or comfort, you get, get used to a routine, and then that gets attacked, that gets threatened. You start thinking, this must be a glitch in the game of life, and then that ease and comfort is gone, and so I need to find it somewhere. And so you start seeking ease and comfort someplace else. Don't do that. Don't allow the isolation. Don't allow the insecurity. Don't allow the fatigue to drive you to the place where you fall for the traps of the one who wants to crush you. We, we have a, this target is on our back. And Satan is prowling around like a lion, seeking to devour somebody. Man, he would love to take your generosity, get rid of it, and make you stingy. He would love to take your eyes for your spouse and, and remove the work that that is and allow you to run towards pornography. He would love for you to stop looking at other people as worthy of love and compassion being created in the image of God and instead view them as threats. He would love for you to think that your answer is at the bottom of that bottle or in taking that next pill. He would love to have you believe the lie that you're all alone in your fear and anxiety. See, that's what Satan does. He, he runs around like a roaring lion trying to find somebody who is teetering on the edge so that he can them. Fred, let me boldly encourage you. Look to the risen Savior who's already won the victory. Man, those, those weapons have already been formed. They're coming at us. It's coming at us, but it's got no power because Jesus Christ emptied them of their power when he defeated death and he conquered the grave. Look to the risen Savior. Run to the shepherd. 
Allow him to guide you. Allow him to, to lead you. And it may be like Psalm 23. It may feel like he's leading you through the valley of the shadow of death. But that's okay. Because that means around the corner, there, 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 there is green pastures. There is satisfying water. But allow him to lead you. And in these days, pray with boldness. This is your heavenly Father. You have a relationship. And he's got power. But pray with humility. I mean, allow your priority to be what he wants, his desire, his will for this moment, even if it's the exact opposite of what you would want. And come with great dependence, knowing that you have to lean on him for provision, that you get to count on him for forgiveness, and that you can ask him to protect you from sin. So can you trust him? Can you trust him? You can. The author of Lamentations is talking about his affliction, his homelessness. He says in verse 20 of chapter 3, I remember those things and I become depressed. But I call this to mind. and Therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So when I remember those things, I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in Him. Can you trust Him? Absolutely. His faithfulness in the past is just a small picture of what His eternal faithfulness will look like for us. Heavenly Father, I, I don't say that just as a name. I say that as great hope. Heavenly Father, Thank you for knowing my name. Thank you for allowing me to come into your presence. Thank you for the power of, of, of the Almighty God being for me. Lord, I ask that you would be the one who, who is despondent this morning, the one who's frustrated this morning, who's dealing with insecurity. God, would you cause them to see your great faithfulness? Would you cause them to wash, to, to bathe in, even, I say this carefully, to drown in the love of their Heavenly Father so that everything they see, they see with a different perspective. That their hope is filled up as they understand that you are more than capable. You are infinitely powerful. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us the promise of your faithfulness to come. Amen.